Welcome, friends, to week two of Reset for Reentry. Uh, my name is Ben Seaman, and I serve on staff here as our lead minister. And as Andrew, our family minister, communicated, we're so glad that you're here, whether you can gather digitally uh, or physically. Uh, as I said, we are in a series we just launched last weekend called Reset for Reentry. And we don't know what normal is or what new normal is, but we know that Jesus wants us to journey with him in light of this pandemic, in light of any season, really especially this unique season as well. And so we're going to talk about over the next five weekends, what are key aspects of our spiritual formation that are being developed in this season, whether we know it or not, or whether we want that to happen uh, or, or not. Last week we said, we talked about this idea of resetting our soul, what makes us a person. In his book, uh, Soul Keeping, John Orberg writes, the Velcro of the soul is what Jesus calls desire. In other words, what we're talking about, and really anything in your life, whether it's church or relationships, it comes down to desire, the will. Do you want to do this? And I think what makes Jesus so attractive, at least for me, is that he wasn't a religious Pharisee when he was on earth. He, he said, here's what I'm about. I'd love for you to come follow me. And he would just walk. And if you were interested, you would follow. Uh, and if you weren't interested, you would walk away from him. What comes down to our spiritual journey is our desire, right? And we say we exist to what? Invite people to journey with Jesus. Well, what's the deal with an invitation? Well, it's an invitation into something new, something different, something vibrant. And with invitations, you can you can say, sure, I'm, I'm coming. You can reject it. Or like me, a lot of times I'll put it on the fridge and just forget about it. And then I want to go to it, but it already has happened. Faith is an invitation that you can accept, you can reject, or you can put it off later, although we're not promised tomorrow, let alone later. And so I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hands uh, or your digital hands, but here's the question. Over the last four months, would you say personally, whether online or in person, you kind of lost it, okay? You went off on somebody for what they posted, their viewpoint about COVID, Dr. Fauci, the president, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter is different than yours. Or maybe somebody attacked you for what you posted and what you shared. Trauma is always difficult, to manage and to wade through. My psychology friends tell me it's like we have a map of our minds that when trauma happens and something's drastically different, our GPS system in our bodies and our minds just goes out the window. And so here's what becomes awkward about reentry. Those people that we were fighting with online that have been fighting against us, that have unfriended us or unfollowed us, whether digitally or in person, we're gonna start to see them now right? Like at Market Basket. Thankfully, you still have to wear a mask so you can kind of hide from them. But, and then it's, you know, like you never really grow out of middle school, right? And so, man, you're like, all these things that I said or blasted somebody or, you know, someone's different viewpoint, now I actually have to see them again. Well, we're going to talk about today this idea of resetting our forgiveness. In other words, we need to reset our relationships, uh, no matter how we conducted ourselves digitally or physically in person, there are some things that we have to go back and make right, or at least extend an olive branch. We can't control what people do in terms of receiving it, 
or not. And so here's the big idea, friends, I want us to take away today. The big idea about resetting our forgiveness is this. Forgiving in public what we harbor in private will reset our souls. But the tendency of humanity is just to bury it, to hold on to it. Because you know what anger does? Here's how anger tricks us. It's our biggest fan because it makes us think we're in the right, but over time, it begins to dominate us. And we get to a season in life where we're not as emotionally and relationally healthy as we ought to be or as we want to be. You know, a lot of people like Jesus because they say Jesus is about relationships and not religion, and you don't get a lot of legalistic stuff about Jesus. Hold on. Don't misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is very driven, and if you want to borrow the phrase, although I don't mean it in its entirety, he's very legalistic about us getting relationships right. Because at the end of the day, it was a relationship that gave up heaven to live on earth to be crucified and rise again for our sin. And relationship is incredibly, incredibly important to Jesus. I would say his number one top priority, one, that would we eventually accept Christ and begin our journey with Jesus, but two, that when we journey with other people, we would fight to the death to protect our peace and the unity of our church. And so I want you to, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, If you don't carry a Bible, download the Bible app and and search Matthew 18. And we're going to look at a question, Matthew 18, 21. We're going to look at a question that uh, Peter, (laughs) Peter, man, he, he runs his mouth all the time. Peter asked Jesus. And it's a question that now, hopefully, if I'm agitating you enough, you're asking, well, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who blasted me online or in person So then I could just move on with my day. So Peter asked Jesus this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And this is what I love about Jesus. In his his godly, sarcastic humor, he says, seven? What about 77 times? Because Peter thinks, and probably a lot of us think, that maybe Forgiveness is about a number, and once we achieve that, like a checklist when we're cleaning our house, once that's done, we can move on. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And so he answers Peter with a story, and it goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had uh, would be sold to repay the debt. This was not uncommon in the first century. Wealth was uh, amassed by uh, owning a lot of animals and having a lot of land. If you could not pay the land, you... uh, if you could not pay your, your debtor, you would have to sell all those things to begin paying off the debt. Well, at this, the man fell at his knees uh, and, and begged him, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt. I wish my student loans would do that. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded, because anger says uh, you owe me. Uh, His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. Same song and dance. 
different outcome, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. So then the master called the wicked servant, called the servants in and said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now here comes the answer. Peter, listen, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Jesus probably would not work for Hallmark. Peter's asking the question, hey, Jesus, is forgiveness linear? Is forgiveness about me and the other person? One of the hardest things about being a Jesus follower is the culture that you find yourself in. So Peter found himself in a Greco-Roman culture, and Peter was asking a question of his culture. Now, this is reflected in a statement by David Yoon when he says, ancient Greek popular morality was pervaded by the assumption that one should help one's friends and harm one's enemies. According to Aristotle, revenge and retaliation is just noble and courageous. Eye for an eye. We like that. If you mess with me, I'm going to come after you, right? Peter is asking a question of his culture, but Peter is also asking a culture of the religion that he grew up in, Judaism. And there's a Jewish, Jewish, Judas, there's a Jewish saying that reads this, if a man commits a transgression, the first, second, and third time he's forgiven, the fourth time he is not forgiven. Jesus, our Greco-Roman culture says, look out for my friends, dominate and crush my enemies. What? That doesn't work? Okay, well, our religion, Judaism, because Jesus was Jewish, says that after the fourth time, if the person doesn't, you know, continues to be a jerk online or in person, I could just walk away from them. So we're good Jewish men, right, Jesus? It's four times, right? Not, not seven. I was just kidding. I was trying to, trying to act, you know, good so you can like me because I'm insecure. This is what Peter's probably thinking, maybe not. But no, four times. And then Jesus tells the story. He tells the story of a guy who owes a ton of money to a master, not uncommon in the first century. The amount of money is irrelevant. It doesn't really matter how much the guy owes. What matters is the fact that he owed so much money that it could not be paid back within his lifetime. He knew that, and his master knew that. Now think about this, okay? We'll let you off with the mortgage and rent. Aside from your housing uh, setup, you know what debt does to you. You know what it does to you emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, even relation, relationally. You get jealous when your buddies can take their families to really nice vacations and you can't. You get jealous when your buddies enjoy a nicer retirement, but you, you can't. Now imagine you had so much debt that your gift to your family is that your grandchildren would be the ones to pay off your debt. That's how much debt you're in. And so for this guy to approach this man and say, just give me more time. 
which I just told you. Time is irrelevant. He cannot pay a, a debt off within his lifetime. This is a moment of desperation. That's when we come to Jesus, isn't it? That's when I come to Jesus. When I feel like my back's against the wall. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not, that's not the point here. But we often come to Jesus in our desperation and we plead for grace, don't we? It's often, um, it takes a, a pandemic, it takes social injustice, it takes a divorce, it takes a betrayal, it takes uh, a friend leaving you for no reason to go, wait a minute, maybe I need, maybe I need Christ in my life. And so that guy gets off, and then it, then it turns into a weird like episode of The Sopranos. He sees somebody that owes him money, and he begins to choke him and say, you owe me money, pay me back. Now, here's the difference between the debts. The second guy knew that, although it was a lot of money, it was enough money that he actually could pay back within his lifetime, and the master knew it, and he knew it as well. But what did he do? What did he do? He, he decided not to show grace that his master showed him. And, he, and he, he, he decided to impose law, which he was in the right, technically, and wrath and judgment, and he threw him into prison. And you need to understand this. Jesus is not sugarcoating this. This is what happens to us when we choose not to forgive. What happens to us is that he is thrown into prison. The Original language says you can basically assume that it's somewhat a variation of solitary confinement, and the guy is beaten every single day while he's in prison. Yeah, Jesus is pretty serious about us getting relationships correct. And again, the master finds out you begged me for forgiveness, and I gave it to you. It was a joy to me. And quite frankly, I'm so wealthy, I don't need your money back. And so it, it, it was a joy, and I, I'm able, I have so much overhead, I'm able to forgive you. And what did you do with the grace that I gave you? You chose judgment. You chose wrath. But wait a minute, wait, wait. he was in the right, Ben. Yeah. And yet, he's in the wrong <laughs> with Jesus himself. And that man finds himself, now check this out, he finds himself in prison and being beaten and tortured by prison guards. Ready for this? For the duration of time it would take to pay off his debt. Number one, you can't pay off a debt when you're in prison because you're like not working. Number two, he was being punished to pay off of a debt that he could not pay back within his lifetime. So it doesn't matter if it's life without parole. It doesn't matter if he's on death row. It doesn't matter if he's in gen pop because he's on good, uh, good behavior. It doesn't matter. He's not going to be able to pay off the debt. Why did Jesus tell the story? That doesn't, that's not really important right now. It's when he told it. You see, in the Jewish calendar... There's a 10-day uh, gap between the Jewish New Year and uh, what my Jewish friends celebrate uh, every year is uh, Yom Kippur. 
And in your Bibles in Leviticus 16, you can read about it. It's called the Day of Atonement. And during Yom Kippur, uh, families would make their journey and their trek to the temple courts to offer their sacrifices, their animals, for the forgiveness of their individual sins and their family sins. But something else would happen once a year. The high priest would offer a sacrifice and sprinkle the blood in the Holy of Holies on the seat of mercy. That was a, that was a metaphor and a in a prayer asking God to forgive the Israelites of their sin. This is why Jesus is so dogged and legalistic about us getting relationships right. Because we value autonomy over community. And if we're not careful, we can live in autonomy so long that it's such a slow fade that we slide into the worst thing that we can experience in life which is isolation. If you told a a Jewish writer or a Jewish person in the Bible that sin is individualistic, they would laugh at you. According to the writers and according to Jesus in first century culture and in Eastern thought anyways in Judaism, everything is communal. So if you go to RCC and you got beef with me or I have beef with you and I don't forgive you, That affects the vibe and the health and the vibrancy of the entire church. You know that if you're a parent, right? You tell your kid to go say you're sorry because he beat your other kid and they refuse to do that. Yeah, how's dinner that night until dad comes home, (laughs) right? Same is true. Our lives are not our lives. We don't belong to ourselves. If you're a Jesus follower, we belong to the church and to other people. This is why the big idea is so important that forgiving in public what you harbor in private resets our soul. Now, I told you why is not as important to, as to win. Jesus told this parable in the middle of that 10-day period between the new year and Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. The reason why he told it when he did in the Jewish calendar is that before you offer your sacrifices to God or the high priest, you better go to that person that you offended, that person that you unfriended on social media because they think different views of Dr. Fauci or the president or COVID or Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or Everybody Matters. For Jesus... He's teaching his audience that before you offer a sacrifice to God, or before, to put it in, you know, 2020 language, before you go to church and thank God for grace, you better give it to the person that offended you, or that you offended. You either better give it, or you better actually receive it. This is why Jesus is teaching this parable when he did it. For Jesus... He might make a terrible megachurch pastor because if he was leading this church, which, you know, theologically he is, he's a chief shepherd. If he were leading this church and he was to roll out the reentry plan and COVID happened in the first century or whatever, and he was the pastor, he would say, do not come back to RCC until you've had a cup of coffee or a meal with the person that you're at odds with here at this church. Community is the number one thing that Jesus cares about because it is so easy. It is so lazy. It is so, you fill in the blank, to just slip into autonomy 
and just to get defensive and to stay mad and to stay angry. Because as I said earlier, anger is an emotion that if it could speak, it would say, you owe me. And Jesus is telling Peter and our church, and any church for that matter, groups of Christians, do not go back to church. Don't worry about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or this or that. or Who cares? That's irrelevant. Jesus is saying the number one thing that you need to be concerned with is that if you've lost your cool online or in person or someone's attacked you, you have to go and make amends or at least extend the olive branch. Like I said, nobody is in control. Nobody can, you know, uh, force you to, uh, uh, the other person can't, um, you know, uh, uh, give you the desired outcome. It, it's, it's up to their will. Like even Jesus himself can't make you do that. Because when you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people walk away from Jesus all the time. So let me say it this way. If you've, um, if someone has annoyed you on social media, caused you to get angry digitally or in person, if you found yourself laughing at someone who didn't share your same viewpoint about anything that's happened in the last four months, uh, Jesus is telling you it's time for you to reset your forgiveness. Don't even think about coming back to RCC until you've had a conversation with them. Uh, if you have conspired with a group of people to form your own little think tank and militia where anybody that does not think the way your friend circle thinks and you begin to make fun of people, you are unfriending people, you are throwing people under the bus who think different than you uh, politically, scientifically, or even religiously, Jesus is telling you, do not come back to this church until you've had a conversation with that person. If you've been on the receiving end of people unfriending you, calling you out, or saying hurtful things to you, this is really difficult to say because you've been offended against. You've not been the offender. Jesus is saying, don't come back to RCC until you've communicated how they've hurt you. And your desire to say, I hope that you would ask for forgiveness. And even if you're not ready, when you're ready, please know that I'm willing to accept it. That's how critical community is to Jesus. Stanley Grins in his book, Theology for the Community of God, says this, my favorite quote in all of theology, sin is the lack of, loss of, and destruction of community. You, you want to know how to kill a church? Get people mad at each other. Forgiving in public what we harbor in private resets our souls. Peter, it's not a number, man. It's a way of life. Because the person that you forgive on Sunday, <laughs> life has a tendency of bringing another person in your life that you're going to need to forgive on Monday. It is not an amount, Peter. It is a way of life. Forgiveness is not linear. It's actually triangular because forgiveness includes a deity. Because when we offend people, we not only offend them, we offend the God that created them. In God's image, that person was born, hopefully conceived in love, was raised. They have a childhood. They have a history. They have a past. And we said harmful or hurtful things to them. And so the really annoying thing is about forgiveness now is that there's a God piece to this. And, and Jesus reflects this in the story in verse 32 through 35. I'll summarize it. He says, you wicked servant, I canceled the debt you asked for. Why didn't you do the same? And he says, in anger, verse 34, the master handed him over and threw him into prison. I showed you grace. 
you went to church and heard a great sermon on grace, and you felt warm and fuzzies in your heart, and yet you did not forgive the person that offended you during the week. Peter, is Christianity theoretical to you? Or do you actually want to struggle in terms of what it looks like to actually apply this to your life? It's not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus is difficult, but it's a good difficult. Now, here's the gospel truth of this story. So I give you a lot of the the background. Here's the gospel truth of this. Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus is both the master who can forgive a debt and the punishment of a debt that remains unforgiven. In other words, Jesus is the grace in the first story. Because what Jesus is talking about isn't money. He's talking about our sin. Our sin is so big. There's so much debt in our sin that we cannot pay it back to God. In the New Testament, the writers talk about sin in terms of the economy, right? For the what? Wages of sin is what? Is death. But what? The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Savior. I believe that's Romans 6 or 5. I think it's Romans 6.23. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is the only thing He's the only human that left eternity to live in time and space that could forgive a debt that would outlast you, your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. But he is also, Jesus is also the wrath of God. He is the punishment of God that when we decide, when we decide not to forgive somebody, it's as if we are throwing him in prison. It's as if we are watching him in solitary confinement and beating him within the inch of his life. It's as if we are taking Roman spikes and drilling them in between the ulnus and radia bones. I know most artists like to think that Jesus put uh, the nails through his hands. You can't hang somebody uh, with that. You have to put it through one of the pressure points so they can stay on the cross, maximizing the amount of pain that they're going to endure. Jesus is saying, if you choose not to forgive somebody, it's as if you are the Roman soldier whipping me to death and murdering me in front of my own mother. Listen, friends, forgiving in public what we harbor in private will reset our soul. That begins coming to terms with the fact that you and I are wicked sinners. If left to our own demise, which we have because we've been granted by the government, we had to stay home, we defend ourselves. We look out for ourselves. And yet Jesus is saying the very real tension is you need to fight for community. One last thing and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be done, although I don't want to be. The last thing that Jesus prayed for before he was crucified is that his disciples, his followers, his church, us, you and I, friends, is not that we would be a big church. It's not that we'd be a small church. It is not that we would be on the right or wrong side of history. It is not that we would be good theologians. You don't have to be smart to follow Jesus. You know what you have to be? You have to be a good lover. Because Jesus said, the world you know are mine by the way you love. And in John 17, Jesus didn't pray for us to be big, small, uh, divided, right or wrong. He prayed for us to be unified. Unity is what Jesus prayed for. It was the last prayer that Jesus communicated to his father before he said, 
Dad, I'm done. I give my spirit to you. And the life went out of Jesus' body. This is incredibly important for the health of our church and for the health and vitality of your faith. What is it that you are harboring in your bones that you have not spoken to somebody? I want to encourage you, set up that meeting in the next two weeks. Have that hard conversation. If you need help and support, reach out to us. Our elder and staff team would love to help you and walk you through that as well. Uh, So let's pray and we'll continue uh, in worship. Jesus, I thank you that um, you do not sugarcoat how the, the gravity and the weight that we need to practice uh, forgiveness. And forgive us, Jesus, that we sometimes would rather your teachings be nice and warm and fuzzy and theoretical. Thank you for challenging us with the practical stuff to do the hard thing. Jesus, you are the most powerful person in the world, and yet you had nothing to defend. You graciously and willingly went to the cross And you let Pilate, you let all the naysayers say whatever they wanted to you because you knew your purpose. Jesus, remind us of our purpose. It's not to this country. It's not to this government. It's not to any ideas. It is to your kingdom, first and foremost. We are citizens of your kingdom that happen to enjoy this great country called America. Do not let our gifts... Do not allow our priorities to get twisted. May we be people that live the way of forgiveness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.